Hi, it's Dune here, your host and hype girl. And before we dive into today's episode, I want you to take a hot second to reflect. What's that passion, unique experience, or knowledge you have itching to be shared with the world? For me, it's always been about guiding you and cheerleading incredible women to start your businesses. So what's your thing? You see, everyone's got something they excel at, something they just can't stop talking about. And it turns out that one of the best ways to monetize those passions is through sharing that thing with the world as a digital course product. My life's work has been to chat with more than 600, 7, 8, and 9-figure e-commerce founders. And it's through those conversations that have led me to creating a foolproof playbook and my go-to guide for early-stage founders in the form of my first-ever digital program, e-commerce fundamentals. But it wouldn't have been possible without Thinkific. The beauty of this platform lies in its simplicity. Cute templates and a super easy to use editor. No coding headaches, no tech-induced stress, just pure focus on what matters most, the content. So if you've ever been curious about building a course to teach your passion, this is the way to do it. The genuine support from the Thinkific team turns it from this lonely, confusing headache into the most fulfilling and easy project. Go to the link in my show notes to get a free trial on me. This is Azora Zoe Packnard for Female Startup Club. Hello, it's Dune here, your host and hype girl. Today on the show, I'm chatting with Azora Zoe Packnard, the founder of Gold Dune. And yes, I love this name. We talk about it a lot. Today, we're talking in depth about her launch and the brands she's on the lookout for at the moment, which could be you, by the way. Gold Dune is a new e-commerce retailer making sustainability less beige. Get everything you need for home and life always sustainable, but never granola. If you love the app and want to connect with founders like Azora Zoe, come check out Hype Club, the all-in-one resource for founders who happen to be women building the world's coolest CPG brands. Happy listening. This is Azora Zoe for Female Startup Club. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Azora, hi. Welcome to the Female Startup Club podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm very excited as a listener of the pod. Yeah, I mean, you've just totally brightened my day for everyone listening. Uh, Azora <laughs> just told me she already knew about Female Startup Club and she's been listening in for a while. So she just blew my mind and I'm so thrilled and just so happy. I've got a huge smile on my face. Um, your name's really beautiful, by the way, Azora. I haven't heard that before. Thank you so much. That's very kind of you. You've got lots of nice words going around. Azora, Gold Dune, love it, love it, love it. Love the whole mix. <laughs> for you. those of us who, well, not for us because I know, but for those who are listening who don't know who you are yet and don't know about your brand, can you give us the elevator pitch for yourself and for Gold Dune? Totally. So Gold Dune is a e-commerce retailer for home and life. And we're focused on making sustainability less beige, <laughs> so less granola, <laughs> more inclusive, more design-led, and a little bit more warm and human and forgiving, rather than sort of, you know, all or nothing or doom and gloom or sort of shame or fear-based, which was sort of my experience navigating kind of the sustainable <laughs> retail or sustainable living movements and, you know, the different kind of channels that were there, whether on social media, I felt like there was kind of one or two dominant narratives, like one on the end of the spectrum, there was kind of like a, you know, like a very waste-like rich influencer where like everything in her home was super curated, super beautiful, aspirational. Maybe there was like a focus on slow living. And, you know, on the one hand, that, that didn't feel accessible or inclusive necessarily as a narrative, while of course, beautiful in so many ways. <laughs> And on the other hand, they felt like there was a really strong community that was zero waste and power to folks who pull that off. That's so, so impressive. But I also felt like some of the energy in that community was like a little bit zero sum game focused, right? Like if you messed up or you couldn't do something, like there was stigma or shame. And also, I didn't feel like there was that much dialogue in that space either about what a privilege that is too, right? Like for some reason, living zero waste is stylized as a sacrifice, but we don't talk about is what a huge like emotional, socioeconomic privilege it is to even be able to have the bandwidth to think about not generating a scrap of trash. So uh, there was like a friction there for me um, 
And my background before starting Cold Dune, I worked for a long time at a company called Food 52, which is another home sort of kitchen retailer and uh, media company. And, you know, I, I sort of got into sustainability in my time there. And that's kind of like friction point for me, feeling like I was sort of not in either <laughs> bucket or at either end of each extreme side of the spectrum. I, I was noodling on that for a while. And I think the pandemic for me really exacerbated and accelerated that thought process or that conversation about both sustainability, but to be honest, privilege. I think we all started sort of thinking about evaluating and talking about privilege in different ways in 2020. And it felt like the time <laughs> to do something about it. Also a crazy time, I will say, but I found myself with the time to really focus on something super passionate about and I, I really wanted to create space for climate optimism for inclusivity a place to sort of welcome folks to the conversation around sustainable living and sustainable shopping <laughs> whatever that means regardless of where they were at right so like you don't have to be a pro or an expert you don't have to you know have everything in your life or your home or your purse look like you're coming back from a hike like not everything has to be outdoorsy like it's it's okay and I think there should be some shades of I don't want to say sustainable living but and we should all have access to options that are hopefully as kind to our ecosystem and as sustainable as possible no matter where you're at sort of whether you're a pro whether the climate crisis overwhelms you you can't even think about it you're just getting started and every sort of space in between right because there's a million shades of gray in between which I think is actually where most of us are, rather than at either end of that spectrum too. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. And being able to find, like, meet people where they are on the journey. So being like, hey, you want to make one small change? Here's a good idea. And here's how you can do that. And here's how you can do it that's within your budget. And here's how you can do it that's within your style or, or whatever it might be. Do you want to just share a little bit about the kinds of brands you have on the platform and the kinds of price points and like what's a typical kind of curation assortment look like for you? 100%. So Goldoon itself is a marketplace and we're just, we're about, we've been live for let's say like eight months, probably maybe nine months. And so we're just sort of dabbling in kind of making one or two of our own products. But for the most part, we really do go through like a pretty intense evaluation process, both on the sustainability side, like, making sure that we feel really, really confident, you know, putting something in front of you and telling you that we think it's the best version that's out there, whether, you know, at that price point, whether, you know, like in that sort of context of sustainability. But yeah, we, we work with, at this point, I believe it's, it's upwards of 100 different brands. And our focus is really still on trying to provide diversity of price points. So there's accessible options for all different kinds of folks, which I would say is a challenge. On, on either end of that spectrum, right? Especially in, in sustainability, but also really trying to make sure that you you have what you need in the same sense that like when you, you know, you go to like sort of a quote unquote general store and you throw a bunch of things in your cart, there's that ease, right? And you, you don't have to think too hard about evaluating every single thing. We hope to do a lot of that evaluation from a sustainability standpoint, from an aesthetic or a design standpoint, from an ethics standpoint for you, and then to present you with hopefully a lot of good options for your taste, your home, your budget, your the size of your place, right? All of those different factors. And it's up to you to sort of, you know, pick what works for you based on your own unique circumstance and, and life. And none of our, our business or our feedback to tell you if that's for you is another sort of thing that's kind of 
important to me at least, or, or a piece of our ethos is like, none of us know anything about what anyone else is going through. So who am I to tell you how you should live your life or like how you should compost or, you know, I, I think we kind of easily get into that, especially in the sustainability space, like prescriptive place where it's like, well, you should be doing this. You, you should only be doing what you can do <laughs> feasibly. So we'll, we'll give you as many options as we can and sort of up to you to pick what fits you based on where you're at. And hopefully we can grow with you and like be your partner on that journey. What's funny to me is like, how did this not exist already in terms of something <laughs> so cool? And like the product assortment is amazing. I love that you stock a lot of women owned brands. I love that you stock a lot of women of color owned brands or founded brands rather. And like the platform speaks to me in terms of branding. Like I just, I get joy <laughs> from being on there, like, because it doesn't feel like the classic sustainable, everything's just green and, you know, whatever, like, you know, the 10 years right. ago sustainable <laughs> vibe that still kind of yeah. like exists a lot today. Totally. That it's fun. And I love that you said you're making your own products. It's something I wanted to ask you about, but we'll circle back to that because I want to go back to, you know, <laughs> pre getting started where does your mm -hmm. entrepreneurial story start? And were you always interested in, you know, building your own business? Good question. Definitely, yes. My parents are both serial entrepreneurs. So that was like the environment I grew up in. I like was a kid napping under the, the table in the conference room during board meetings, like sleeping under my mom's desk playing with my Barbies. Very much sort of a piece of <laughs> me as a little person before I knew it. And so for me, it was never a question of if, just a question of when. So to be honest, I really, really didn't think it would be now. And I kind of fought the impulse when it came along. You know, when you're younger, like all of those things feel very accessible and interesting and open to you. So I, I definitely felt as a kid, like I, I'm going to do something amazing when I grow up. I don't know what it is, but I, I swear I will. And then like I, I got older, did a few different things, and I, I think I started to feel like there was a certain level of required success or like barrier to entry or prescribed milestones I had to hit in order to do something like this on my own. And I, I pictured myself like further along in my career, I pictured myself older. I had imagined that I would have like more established investor connections or relationships or a better network. And I, I'm not sure what exactly pushed me off the edge, I think probably. <laughs> it sounds like also when you're getting ready for having a baby. Literally, yeah. It's just kind of like, you know, any big life milestone, right? Like you have this picture of what you envision you'll be like. And I know that's never, ever like how it goes. And, and so for me, I have to actually sort of like push or negotiate with myself and talk myself into doing this big thing. I think the pandemic kind of helped in that it, it sort of stripped away like a lot of the ego. I think so many of us were sort of like, for the first time, perhaps more open about vulnerability or anxiety or circumstance or just the dialogue opened up there. But I don't know, it, it took a push. It took a push. <laughs> finally, quote, quote, finally, it was like 45 days. I made it sound like it was years. It was like a month. But in pandemic times, that's 100 years. But after a lot of noodling, I, I decided to go for it, even if, you know, I wasn't what I thought I would be when I started business or my career wasn't, or I wasn't at the stage of life. I mean, I was literally like living with my parents the whole time I, I launched this biz. So I, I think I like a sophisticated version of myself 
that that version is yet to materialize. I'm still not sophisticated, but we're waiting. <laughs> we took the plunge anyway. <laughs> you're working towards it. You're working towards it. I'm sure you're very sophisticated. She may never don't arrive. put yourself down. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> a lot of things. I don't think I'm sophisticated. I think that's okay. There, there's ways to make that work for you, but no, it's a good being an entrepreneur is an amazing exercise of like ego crushing and just completely <laughs> yeah. every day you have to like fall on your face and then get back up and do it again the next day. <laughs> Totally. Deal with that rejection, those constant no's. Yeah, I feel you. I want to know, like, I always love to ask about how much capital it took to get started and what was the kind of blueprint mm-hmm. to getting started? What are those early, you know, lead up to launch, early months like when you're like, you know what, I'm going to start this thing? And where were you at in your career, by the way? I think I read that you'd quit your job already and you mm-hmm. had other plans pre-pandemic. But if you want to just kind of like summarize those, yeah. you know, those early moments. I'll set the scene. <laughs> I love setting the scene. Please do. Yeah, might as well. Um, I had started, or sorry, I, I quit my job at Food 52. We'd just been through an acquisition, a few months after the acquisition. And I felt like I had a little bit of startup burnout happening. And I, I wanted to do something big and something really different and like, frankly, not, not work at all for a while. So I had given lots of notice. I'd been saving up. I was like, I'm going to travel the world. I know. I was like, Oh, I I think I don't want to work. And then I was like, let me work a million times harder than ever. But no, first I I thought I was going to travel. I had this sort of an untraditional college experience. I worked through college. I went to community college and I went to night school in New York. And I had never sort of had that like kind of young adventurous, wanderlust chapter that it, oh, some folks get to have. And I was like, you know what, let's, let's try to recreate that later and, and make it happen now. And so I gave probably four months notice. I sublet my apartment. I started packing up all my stuff to put into storage. And I was like, I'm going to Italy. <laughs> I, I like went through all the motions. I literally threw myself a goodbye party. I'm going to do my eat, pray, love thing. Yeah. I was like, actually, I watched eat, pray, love for the first time that month. And I was like, I guess I'm going to do this. I, I like fully bought in. Right. And then of course, like March rolls around, there's no going to Italy. And I'd already gotten rid of my apartment and I now had no job or was winding down. I, I think I had like another four or five weeks left, but you know, that was, that was really the end of that. And so okay, I guess I'm moving in with my parents. The opposite of going to Italy or traveling the world alone for six months is moving back in with your parents. So I did that. That's what I meant when I was talking about sophistication. <laughs> You're like, I was taking all these steps forward for my personal self, but I'm actually taking a couple steps back and I'm going back in time. It was, it was wild. I had lived with my parents since I was like 16. So it was so like such a trip, right? In so many ways, such a shock to the system. Not in a bad way, actually. I'm like very, very happy that happened. But it was just very much like the absolute opposite of what I had planned for myself, which is fine. And that's how life goes. And it's funny. And it makes for a hilarious story now because starting business is like truly the opposite of going and traveling with no job. But, you know, probably like after I, I worked remotely from, from there for a while and, you know, like explored a bunch of different ops and I found myself kind of I felt I felt like I should take them right it was also a hard time to 
to get a job. And so I, I, anytime I had a great opportunity in front of me that, you know, theoretically fit the bill for what I said I was, wanted to do next, which was like, I did want to work in sustainability. I did want to work in e-commerce. There's only so many of those your businesses. And anytime the opportunity was in front of me, I found myself making so many excuses or like trying to kind of like wiggle out or, or not just self-sabotaging or, or like not, not letting it happen. And at a certain point I realized it's because I had this idea or I had this inclination or this passion that I hadn't been, I hadn't told anyone about because I was embarrassed or felt like uncomfy with the level of vulnerability that is literally going around some people leave a business idea and then having to explain like your half-baked business idea. I don't think there's anything more embarrassing <laughs> going through that. But I, I was like being very, you know, very tight-lipped about it. And at a certain point, I think one day I just woke up and was like, oh my God, I'm already spending so much time fixated or focused on this idea. I have zero financial obligation to anybody for the first time, like in a long time. <laughs> Probably that's kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity as well, right? A lot of people don't get that lucky that their, their biz idea times out pretty well with <laughs> having no overhead. And I, I just was like, okay, if not, if not now, then when? And I kind of got over all of that weird ego stuff about feeling like I needed to have more savings or, you know, like a partner or better connections and just a certain point made peace with it is what it is. And there are so many founders out there with wackier stories or, you know, maybe like less experience or different experience who have been wildly successful or who work really hard and why not me? So I think I just start asking a lot of why not me. <laughs> I still do, to be honest. It's like actually my screensaver says, why not me? And I have to like pummel it into my little egg brain every day and go up there and take risks. But no, that was what, what got me there. Totally. I'm with you. I do the same. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the question, isn't it? But <laughs> to answer your question, sorry, I, I lost myself there on a long journey. Not a journey I to like Italy, but journey. a journey nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> I, I raised a little bit of friends and family money, but very, very little, I think, relative to most e-commerce startups or, or most folks. And the goal was just like, let me get a minimum viable product up and running. And it's actually the same one that's out there now. <laughs> so if you see it, nothing has really changed in that regard. But no, I, I like sort of shared my idea with people who I felt comfortable with and who I felt wouldn't judge me and who would support me, even if, I mean, not that they would support me blindly, obviously, but people who I thought would be honest and kind. And that's, that's sort of what got me started. I worked quietly from, let's say, the end of June through October 20th was the day we launched, just behind the scenes. And yeah, it was actually a pretty tight turnaround in hindsight. But that, that was it. That was like the journey from build to launch. And what were the kinds of things you were doing behind the scenes in the lead up to launch in terms of, oh boy. you know, getting brands interested like how were you getting brands to commit to being on board and was it more of a drop ship model where you were kind of like placing the orders and they were shipping them out or were you like gathering stock and using that money to buy into inventory what was the kind of pre-lead up non-marketing wise because we're going to get to the marketing stuff too mm -hmm. <laughs> all of the money I raised went right into building the website and then some small amount of like legal setup fees which 
actually not small at all and totally will feed into your budget in a super dramatic and annoying way, <laughs> I will say. But I, so everything went straight towards building the site. I came from a dropship business. Food 52 was a dropship business while I was there. And dropship, I think, is kind of the only way to get started without capital. And to me also, since I was taking a huge risk, dropship allows you a certain amount of freedom to learn about your customer or learn about your audience on the go. And I think like that was that's absolutely essential when you don't have customers or <laughs> audience. So the good news was that there was, besides the building of the digital product itself, there's very little risk involved from an inventory standpoint or an assortment standpoint. And there still isn't, right? So we're still just working as hard as we can to like learn as much as we can about what folks like and obviously evolve that and hopefully pull some inventory in-house in the future. But for now, I think it's still, we're, we're still able to learn and provide better experiences for our customers by, by dropshipping. But as far as the sort of journey behind the scenes from June to October, a lot of focus on creative and brand. You mentioned like there's no green. Like <laughs> a big piece of the mission from the get-go was always like sustainability is super crunchy right now. Everything is like brown craft paper cardboard. So that's that's like for some not an inclusive aesthetic. That's it's just not it's not an accessible one. And it's also like if you want a lot of people to get excited about sustainability, and we need a lot of people to get excited about sustainability. Is this the best we can do? <laughs> Could we do a little better on the aesthetic standpoint or the design standpoint? Um, the inclusivity standpoint, like, could we could we build an assortment that valued women and people of color and their contributions and like weighted that heavily in the assortment? We build an assortment that felt, you know, chic and interesting and accessible and colorful. And those are a lot of different things at once. So I will say there was a lot of bouncing back and forth and there there still is. I think we're still trying to figure it out. It's sort of like a pendulum for a delicate balance. And yeah, a, a lot of like visual design work, working with designers, trying to build out our brand. And then also on the flip side, I started my career in sales and it doesn't seem relevant to e-commerce at all. I worked in ad sales, but it's actually probably of all of the things I've done, <laughs> the most useful and transferable right? Like everything is sales, especially as a founder. So even though I wasn't selling the brands I was approaching in the early days, I was kind of selling them the idea. I have nothing to show them. Like there was no website. There was nothing. So, you know, just a cold email like, hey, here's who I am. Here's what I'm doing. You want in? <laughs> Here are my terms, right? I had zero negotiating power <laughs> or leverage, but in some ways that was reverse sales. And the same is true fundraising. Even through the journey I'm on now as we grow the business and try to and like build a team, right? It's it's kind of the same thing. I'm, I'm still selling an idea that we have something up, right? So it's a little easier. There's some frame of reference. Some people have heard of us, but still it's in many ways I'm selling things that the eye can't see or that haven't materialized yet, which is frankly still sometimes easier than selling digital advertising, which is <laughs> so many ways sometimes make oil. So yeah, that it was a, it was a lot of pitching. <laughs> And then switching gears to be creative and then switching gears to be sort of maybe more legal or administrative focus, like getting a sales license, all those things, which to be honest, is still pretty much a perfect metaphor for what I do now. <laughs> 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I read something that kind of in the lead up to when you were getting started, you know, in the lead up to the launch, your dad gave you a bit of a nudge Mm -hmm. in the right direction of like, (laughs) hey, what's your marketing plan? And it forced you to switch into Mm -hmm. the gear of marketing hat. What was your marketing launch plan and how did it go? That's a deep cut. You really, you did, you Googled me good. (laughs) (laughs) Very. Um, I've told one person that. <laughs> I mean, in some ways, a, a nice and not humbling reminder of it this whole time. I was the whole person who lived with their parents. <laughs> the feedback I was getting was from my parents, but also in some ways, super valuable. I think a lot of folks are like, oh, was it so helpful having your parents around or like having two entrepreneurs around to weigh in? But my parents are software. And so there, there's not a very direct parallel to like selling goods and software as it's not as strong of a tie as one might think. They weren't as actively involved. And this was like kind of the only involvement my dad had was just like one morning <laughs> we were like in the kitchen at the same time. And I, I'm like pretty private about my work. I can't say that I share that many details with friends or family about what I'm working on or, or how the business is going, which is probably a fault, <laughs> but he was like, so 
do you have a marketing plan yet? And I was kind of like, yeah, like, I think I'm marketing good, dude. Like you engineer you. I think I can figure out DTC style marketing in 2020. Like, thank you very much. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, thanks. But last I checked, I'm the one (laughs) good at creative. Thank you, um, dad. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, thanks, dude. Like, okay. But he uh, actually was super right. (laughs) Like, no, you need an actual plan. He was like, I'm an engineer and I've built many amazing products. And some of them were even better than others. And I'll tell you what, none of that mattered. All that mattered was like, who was the co-founder or the exec or my foil, the partner who was able to bring the marketing shop to the table? Because I've had amazing ideas and amazing businesses that, you know, like didn't fly as high as they could have or should have because we, we didn't have that talent or that person or that point of view or that plan or strategic mind in place. And it's like devastating to watch one of your best ideas not succeed the way you hoped because that you overlooked that piece, right? And then to have ideas that are maybe you're like less, they're not your baby in the same sense, like fly. Not that that's true of like him in particular, but he pointed it out and I was like, for some reason I had like an oh shit moment. I was like, oh my God, (laughs) I don't have a plan. Damn it, my dad's right. Yeah, I don't know what it was that clicked. I mean, I had an abstract plan, but I realized that day like, oh no, I needed to have had a plan months ago and I don't have a plan. And I just kind of assumed that, you know, there's that expression like build it and they will come. That is not true of startups. They don't come. (laughs) You have to like, Every you you have to really like hustle. You have to start knocking down the doors. Yeah, not to like I don't want to over glorify the hustle or hustle porn. I also think we are all sort of aware of the faults of that kind of language. But I will say, like part of the trickiness about entrepreneurship is like you, there is no other way. Like that's the way. It's it's like you're kind of between a rock and a hard place because you want to have great work life balance and like awesome mental health and on the flip side of course like you're you're asking the extreme of yourself right and of your team if you have a team but anyway that clicked it for me and I was sort of like okay but I I admit to this day it's still sort of a challenge figuring out how (laughs) what the marketing strategy is right and and also to what extent like what a, a strategy is and what just sort of happens to you and what's organic momentum and what your group looks like. I, I would say that I have sort of a love-hate relationship with that process even to this day. But yeah, I'm very glad that I happened to run into my dad in the kitchen that day because that was the day that I like frantically started pitching. <laughs> so pitching like journalists and editors or things like that or yeah. what was your kind of, what became your marketing plan from there? It was a chaotic Google Sheet. I would say it came from my last role at Food I was in kind of like sort of on one level partnership. So like working with other brands and thinking a lot about, okay, like how can we grow Food 52 by doing XYZ or opening a store here or doing this in partnership with this person. So I I put that hat back on, but of course it's really different when you're trying to grow a non-existent business versus like a business that already has some clout and like, you know, Madewell doesn't want to partner with Goldoon. They've never heard of Goldoon, right? In the same <laughs> We'd had a Madewell partnership behind us many, many moons ago. So in some senses, my, I feel like my partnership chops were transferable and in others, they weren't. And so I think adapting that, thinking a lot about 
who our customers would be or who I wanted them to be and where they were and how we could show up there. And in the same way that I, I sort of reached out to brands and kind of like asked them to take a leap of faith and did sort of a similar thing with editors, with a lot of influencers, with tastemakers, with people, even other founders who I just admired. Sort of just made a, a huge jump of people I admired, people I thought were thought leaders, tastemakers, trendsetters, no matter their domain or what sort of medium or channel of media they worked with. And then tried to be really thoughtful, personal, and strategic in our notes for them. So I think that's kind of actually, to be honest, still the strategy. We don't, we still have never hired a PR firm. We'll try to be super earnest and personal and kind of like every interaction we have with folks who create content, just because that seems to, that, that to me feels like the only authentic way to do that. But no, lots of people do it differently. That was my approach. I'm not saying I'm not open to other approaches. <laughs> that's what's in my toolkit. And that's, that's sort of what I have access to and where I feel the most comfortable. And yeah, that's how I did it. And that's truthfully how I still do it. <laughs> and how's it going? Like, what have you seen? You know, you've launched, you said, eight months ago now. So are you consistently growing? Are you seeing like specific momentum coming from specific pieces of PR or influences or whatever the moment is? And what's working really well? Yeah, question. I think at a certain point we started seeing people, I mean, people started reaching out to me, right? Or like people, we hit a kind of a snowball point, right? Where like now I'm not, I'm not puppeteering every time someone finds out about Soldoon, which is amazing. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm still puppeteering a lot of it or trying to make it happen. But it is definitely nice to no longer be super reliant on that as kind of the only way to, I don't even want to say acquire customers, right? Because to me, the mission is so much more about how can we get millions of people excited about sustainability in ways that feel inclusive and authentic and accessible to them. So to me, our mission is a lot more than like selling soap. But selling, we, we want you to, of course, remember us if you need soap. <laughs> so it's, sort of, it's like a, a multiple, multiple levels to that mission. But things that are going well, I think Earth Month was unexpectedly huge for us. And I saw so many folks, I mean, this is kind of an example, but still so many brands pushing Earth Month sales, like offloading product at crazy rates, being like, buy these sustainable products they're 50 percent off for earth month and that just like got under my skin and i couldn't stop thinking about it all april it, it really bothered me it, it felt so antithetical to earth month itself as a movement which like originally started as a movement to erase environmental racism right and like we're not addressing environmental racism <laughs> is burning and we're like here's more stuff uh buy the stuff for the earth, right? It's like really confusing messaging and really hypocritical messaging, especially for a lot of brands that sort of, I think, lean heavy on the conscious consumerism. I'm using air quotes for the listener. <laughs> but that, that like label, right? And it, it just didn't sit well with me. So we, we put out sort of a super kind of like earnest letter explaining why we're not doing sale and why we generally don't do sales and why we didn't think that this was an appropriate month or window or time to push product and like instead that we donate all profit to we act which is an amazing organization and like shockingly that that caught wings and sort of like flew off and it ended up of course ironically being like the biggest month we've ever had but 
in so many ways, that I think is a good kind of example of maybe where we shine best or what we do best, sort of trying to create value, be super, I think transparent is sometimes maybe not the right word, though it is transparent, but like earnest and honest in our marketing or messaging. And I just think that we, Goldune as a brand, sounds like there's a person behind the screen because there is. And I don't, I don't think we're trying to strip the business of our personhood or um, the fact that we're maybe a 10th slot or still learning or on the journey together. And in many ways, that's the piece of our value prop is a biz. I do think that's also what is allowing us to grow. I think people kind of resonate with that. And I, I think we're all maybe sort of tired of an era where everything must be and everyone must be polished <laughs> and perfect. And where brands are like these sort of millennial pink or baby blue veneers of like, perfection, DTZ perfection, like even at this point, adult retainers are like <laughs> glossy and blue and beautiful. And it's like, wait, this is a retainer. Like we all have this terrible orthodontia memory and I get why we're, you know, like <laughs> sugarcoating it or repainting it or reframing it for now is like something aspirational. But I think for us, we're sort of uh, moving away from that. And, and that is sort of what has enabled us to grow a bit. Oh, obviously there are pain points too. So I don't want to walk over them or make it sound like we're like magically tripling in size every month. We're totally not. <laughs> Lots of ups and downs. And I think growth is not necessarily linear, it's kind of a winding path. And uh, I think the goal is like how can you enjoy the path or dig into the path? hundred percent. there's no destination. You've got to enjoy the journey. For yeah, sure. right. And I may, I imagine you're already doing this, but for you guys, I imagine content in general would work really well in terms of, you know, building out your, like if people responded to that letter, so, you know, mm-hmm. your, your blog content and things that like help show people different ways of doing things. And, and also in the same way that your visual language and like your tone of the visual stuff would also really suit coming through in that written word as well. Is that part of the strategy? Yeah, definitely. We create a lot of content. We have goals to create a lot more. I think to date, we went from being, it was just me and, and two interns through through July. And then we, we've added more folks. But um, <laughs> I don't know there's just some straight up limitations on how much we can create. But I think the goal is definitely to create more. One thing that we try to be thoughtful about is not sure content for content's sake, which I don't know if you feel this way, but I encounter it constantly, especially in the e-commerce world. So like there's there's no need for us to write things just to write things or for our health or so that like you click blog on our website and it's not empty. But we try to think really thoughtfully about what we both want. And I think the nice thing about our challenge or that approachability I was talking about is people will just tell us, which I love. <laughs> we'll ask really regularly. I don't really know why like customer surveys are a one-time or like a once-a-quarter deal, like we'll ask like every two weeks, like what do you want to see more of or any products that you're feeling or what are you looking for you can't find? And that sort of constant feedback loop makes it so much easier to create content, right? Because it's so hard to like sit alone in your vacuum and be like, what will thousands of people like? <laughs> like crank it out without any feedback. That feels very difficult and also very unfulfilling from a creation standpoint. So usually we, we create based off of requests and feedback and like what are people what are the frequent questions that people are writing in with and the same is kind of true from a product standpoint i mentioned trying to sort of start filling in the gaps in our assortment if there's something we can find a sustainable version of something that's 
we think is cleverly, beautifully, and functionally designed, starting to make it ourselves. And the same is sort of that we, we get that feedback mostly via Instagram DM or polls from our community who write in or honestly also our Facebook group or TikTok and say, we really want to have this thing or like, hey, I've never been able to find plastic-free shower curtain liner. <laughs> so specific, right? But like now we have this amazing list and wealth of knowledge of these hyper-specific needs that many people have and haven't been able, like they can't scratch that itch. They've been able to find it anywhere. And That's I'm amazing. right now sort of in the, it's wild. I don't know how to make a plastic free shower curtain, right? Like I have no idea. So that's sort of where, <laughs> where I'm sitting now. It's like, okay. What's interesting for you is like, it's also kind of genius that you've built the business in this way where you've built, you know, you're curating products, but you're really using this as a place to gather data and to gather insights from the community that you're building before you go and launch your own products versus just launching something and, you know, hoping for the best. It's like, you've actually got some really cool insights based on what people are telling you now that you've got a community. And I think, I'm sure you like, didn't have that necessarily like full intention there as in like, that wasn't the kind of goal. You had this mission and you were following the mission, but actually when you think about it, it's just genius. Thank you so much. I, we, we definitely plan to launch products with sort of community feedback down the line. It's happening a little faster than I expected. I think I'm very impatient. I'm like trying to push things along with these students. But also like, I, I don't know, I think it's kind of the most sustainable approach, right? Because what's the point in creating something that people don't want? And how can you earnestly call something sustainable or like eco-friendly, if you will, if you don't actually, if there's not actual demand for it? And that's just creating stuff and then trying to generate demand in the afterlife. I mean, that's the marketing strategy, right? Like that's people are pouring money into and like that's why paid media flourishes. But I, I sort of like the opposite version of events where, you know, our growth is organic because we're creating something that there's genuine demand for before and we're filling the need in the after. I know that's not a forever strategy and that's very much like a, a unique positioning for a super small business, but that's where we're at now. And that's sort of my approach is rather than making stuff or, you know, adding a bunch of stuff to the site and then retroactively <laughs> trying to force it down our throat. Like, how about we wait first and find out what people want or like as we go and, and kind of like continue to plug in those gaps. Are there any teasers that you want to kind of drop on these to be released products or is it all hush hush? I can, I can definitely openly talk about one. We designed compost and our bestsellers like far and far away. And so we designed one in a new color. It's a very Goldoon friendly color in our Instagram stories. It's like a mustardy color, which I'm really excited about, kind of 70s. So that one is coming out hopefully in the next, like let's say 90 days. COVID has held us up a little bit there. And then we're working on a few more for holiday, which is a crazy tight turnaround, but trying to come up with sort of more thoughtful gift wrap solutions that are zero waste and can be used for a variety of sizes of gifts, situations, personality types, and a few sort of giftable kitchen products too that hopefully make quality getting a little easier. I'm sort of thinking a lot about holidays consumption and like what, what the best way to actually approach them sustainably is. And that's sort of the big thesis ahead. It's like, okay, what does that look like? And it, like, it's most 
accessible <laughs> iteration, both for customers, for us, for like just on, on every level, like how can we make the least amount of things, make them as reusable or, or light sort of impact as possible and still sort of fulfill that desire to, you know, celebrate with family, like explore tradition, do sort of all of these things that maybe felt out of reach the last year and particularly hopefully are in reach this year. I don't know. Those are the, the wide questions asking ourselves now, along with how do we make a plastic free shower liner, of course. <laughs> Things that you need to have a list of like things I never thought I'd be talking about or like doing oh and God. like the random stuff that comes from building a business that you're like, yeah, Every all right, day. this is pretty weird. But just quickly to circle <laughs> back to this gift wrapping thing and the bin liners, this is so mm-hmm. cool. I'm like so excited for you and like the future Yay! and all the things that you're doing. And I, I just know that everything's going to look so bloody cool. And I, Thank I can't you wait so myself. much. That makes my entire day. <laughs> Yay. Love that for you. Love that for us. <laughs> what are the things that people don't tell you about business? What are the things that have gone wrong? And what are the, you know, shitty pitfalls that you've encountered that might help others by talking about? Oh, my God. Okay. So many things. I've just sort of started the fundraising journey. I haven't raised very much. But I have raised enough to sort of grow our team a little bit. And I think one of the things that folks don't tell you about raising money I and mean, not that I've even experienced this in the macro sense, but I'm, I'm learning as I go, is just how expensive it is to raise money. I think there's some sort of perception that when you raise, you, you really like put all of that amount in the bank <laughs> and you can apply it immediately towards, you know, growth, buying inventory, investing in manufacturing or R&D, hiring. And the reality is that that's like, it's not the case at all, right? It's expensive to raise money. There's a lot of legal fees. There are, you know, like <laughs> there's there's costs to growth that I think is sort of invisible until you get there, and that's one thing. Like that, what? What kind of fee? Like how much? How much do the legal fees cost, for example? It depends. It really depends on how you structure your fundraise. So, like, are you, you know, raising on a safe? Like, are you doing a price ground? It super depends. And even just to be honest, like the experience of finding a lawyer you like, like if you don't have a network where you're getting a referral for someone that you like, I think that's kind of a tough journey, right? You're going to spend a long time with this person. They can give you a lot of advice about how to structure your business, about how to structure like fundraising and your financing, like how to put your team. And I feel really lucky that I did find someone who I absolutely love, but I think that like how I got there was a total roll of the dice. Like I, I like stopped someone else's lawyer and I was like I love this friend I think that this must be good (laughs) but like I just I think that's really tricky if you don't have network I think a lot of this is really tricky if you don't have network and I think that having network is a huge huge privilege but yeah I would say that I think a lot of these things come cheaper with privilege which doesn't get talked about either right like being able to get better rates because you know someone or being able to get referrals or even being able to get a gut check, right? In my case, I was able to like check in. I texted my mom. I was like, hey, does this sound about right to you for this service, right? Or like, you know, raising this amount, does this sound right to you? And she was able to say, it sounds a little expensive or like, no, that seems about right. I think that's what, you know, market is right now. I wouldn't have known. And Google tells you a lot of things, but I think like Quora is full of these sorts of questions, right? People asking each other different questions. But 
I think sort of the important piece is like getting that feedback from someone you trust and who understands your what your business is in a way the internet like doesn't quite facilitate. So I I, I mean, I have no regrets, but I wish even in the, in the early days, like dealing with some of the, the setup paperwork, I had no sense of how much it was going to cost. And I went in totally blind and I was like shocked. <laughs> I had to like pay the invoice, right? And, and just little things like that. And we all have those moments when we're getting started. And, Can you share what it was? I mean, I, yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to remember what the exact service was. I just know that I got a legal bill for like over 10K and I was expecting it to be way less. And I was like at a stage where we did not have 10K in like backup funds for emergency legal bills. And it was something I remember feeling like I could have or maybe should have done myself. And I had outsourced thinking, you know, mm-hmm. if you hear that <laughs> in entrepreneurial circles, like, if there are things you're not good at or things that you don't think you'll do a good job at, like outsource them, you can't do it alone. So I took that advice. <laughs> and then in hindsight, I was like, man, I kind of wish I had tried to do that on my own. It would have saved me a lot of stress and a lot of money. And in the end, of course, it's fine. Like we paid the invoice, made it work over a long period of time. It took me a while to pay the invoice. And that was like a very, very early stage, like just me. I don't even think I had interns yet. But that's, that's a good one. And then and that doesn't happen to me anymore because I know to ask and I know to get a better sense of like social work and how many hours do you think this will take? And do you expect X, Y, Z might go wrong? Right. But those are just, I, I think you learn those by doing. And I'm, I don't know about you and I'm, I'm sure there are listeners who are like this too. I'm not super kind to myself when I make mistakes. So I'm like still upset with myself. <laughs> not that one, even though it's like so negligible now. But the stakes feel really, really high when it's your business and it's your baby. And I just, I think that people are sort of mum about how much privilege helps and how much I think almost all entrepreneurs have to some degree, right? These days, I think it's sort of like the elephant in the room that no one is talking about and we should maybe talk about more. None of the businesses that we interact with or we see, I'm speaking hyperbolically, maybe there are some, but most of them wouldn't exist at the scale or the grandeur or the level of success that they're at where they're not some level of privilege that the founders or the exec team has behind the scenes, whether that's institutional wealth, institutional knowledge. And I'm, I'm at like as privileged and as guilty of it too. But I just sort of, it it doesn't, nobody talks about it. So it feels like secret or (laughs) usually looking around and you're like, how did people do this? Or how, how am I going to pull this off with this much money or, just just trying to like figure it out and the reality is that i think nobody is super open about shortcuts or you know access and not that we all have to fill our tea because nobody owes anybody anything but i do think that on some level you realize kind of once you walk through the door and you start like you know spending money and trying to make money and feeling you know very very tied to your business's success and wanting to be successful I, I think then you sort of start to see all of the different layers and you're looking around like hmm <laughs> how does anyone no, feasibly navigate this right and the For answer sure. is I don't I don't know <laughs> yeah I mean I'm trying to figure it out hence the show <laughs> right we all are <laughs> we all are what is your key piece of advice for entrepreneurs who have a big idea? Oh, wow. At what stage? Like, is there a 
pre-launch, just idea stage, like dreaming your dreams? I reckon like, you know, it started. You've started. Started. Yep. Hmm. You've taken the leap. I would say this is hard because I still feel very much there myself, but based on my own experience, if you're a solo founder and I am, and I think that's actually been much harder than I anticipated, finding like a safe place to have conversations or vents or even like receive feedback or encouragement, whether that's like an executive coach or I guess even like a therapist, a confidence coach, like a family member who really roots for you. I think there's some people who have that kind of relationship with someone in their life or in their immediate family where they feel like really supported and they can tell them everything. And it's, it's just like it's a very unique set of challenges. And it's a very long road and it's also a marathon and not a sprint. So it feels like a sprint that is the length of a marathon. <laughs> and I think that particularly in the isolation of the pandemic, like I, I was in California, I was living with my parents in the mountains the whole time. And I just moved back to New York partially because I love New York and partially because I, I have the best sort of network and community of friends here, right? And if I'm going to be doing this big thing, like solo, obviously not saying solo in the grand sense. I'm lucky enough to work with some amazing people on my team, but the founding piece is solo. I wanted to have a really solid foundation of people who, you know, I could call at the end of the day and be like, hey, let's get a martini. <laughs> Wake up in the morning and be like, hey, you want to walk a few miles before we start the work day? And it's only been a few weeks. That's already making a huge difference. But I, I still am, you know, on the lookout for like, okay, what does a great executive coaching relationship look like for me, right? Just in order to be successful, like I have to be well <laughs> and feel secure yes. and confident and engaged and invested and present. And I think that's actually pretty hard to like both be your own sort of mental health wellness gatekeeper person, like coach and also everyone else's and also you know, know what you know and like hold all of the responsibility and the keys, especially when you're responsible for other people's livelihoods. It's one thing when it's you, when it's other people, it really does hit different. <laughs> so I, I think having a coach or a safe place um, is huge. I, I don't know. I, that's my take. It could be less huge for certain people. I think having a co-founder, like when y'all can lean on each other and, you know, if someone's having a rough day, the other person can be like, hey, I got it. Like, I'm going to, I'll take the lead and if you can take turns doing that. But I'm sure there's also folks out there who are working with co-founders and they're maybe realizing like, maybe it's not a perfect fit. I know that it's not all, I'm like doing a little bit of the grass is greener. Grass is greener. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I I know there are people who have gone through co-founder divorces and like that's also rough. So maybe even in that case, you have a place that's not your co-founder where you can like offload some of the tension or be really honest about what's on your mind or what you're facing without fear of judgment or, you know, like the nervousness of what that might do to the other person or their perception of you. But I, I think that we all might need, I think everyone needs therapists, but I think we might also all need business therapists too. <laughs> I mean, that's so funny that you say the business therapist thing because, so we have the the hype club, which by the way, is pretty much the safe space that you speak of. So everyone that's in the okay, CPG world needs to be part of Hype Club. The women in the group are so amazing. Everyone's really open and vulnerable and like, it's really cool. But we've been talking about this. I want to have this hotline for business therapy where like, if you just need like a bit of a, a nudge in the right direction, like, and you can just text 
and be like, get some support that's private from someone who's like credible. And like, I don't know who's going to be on the other end of that line because like, it's not (laughs) going to be me. I need to be a texter, but like, it wants to be part, I want it to be part of the female startup club offering because I think it's so needed. And it's funny. We were literally just saying like, it should be called 1-800-BIZ-THERAPY. So watch this space. Like that's going to be coming. (laughs) For sure. For sure. I want that. I want that too. I want that too. Before we get into the six quick questions that we end every episode on, are you looking for any specific brands? Obviously, you know that female founders are listening to this show. They're listening to this episode. They're part of Hype Club, our private network. So is there anything that you're looking for to add to your curated list that you want to kind of put a shout out to? If you run a sustainable business, please contact me. Like, no, no details necessary. That is enough. I want to connect. I think that would be amazing. No matter your product, whether it's a fit for our marketplace or not, I think it's just, it's it's a hard hustle and it's great to all get to know each other. It's one of my favorite parts about what I do at Goldoon is like at the end of the day, I also get to be the broker of all of these amazing relationships with all these different amazing sustainable brands who are really trying their best to do better. So I, I love to do that and I always love to meet folks and connect with them. And if you think you're a fit for our assortment, even better. And uh, to other female founders, if you have if you have coaching love, send them my way. I'm in the market. In general, I'm I'm just very into connecting with folks who are like minded or going through a similar journey. Again, as a, a solo founder, like I think you gotta you gotta get on the phone with people and like have those combos. It's the only way. I totally agree. Totally agree. It's so good talking to other people and hearing their experiences and just getting the the point in the right direction. All right. I'm conscious of time. So let's jump into the six quick questions, some of which we might have already covered, some of which we might not have. But question number one is, what's your why? Why are you doing what you're doing? Um, I think not to be dark, but I feel really anxious and depressed about the climate crisis and the way I think a lot of folks do and, you know, start thinking about how am I uniquely positioned to, like, get involved. And obviously there's a certain level of activism that happens offline and not at not <laughs> all connected to the business. But in many ways I thought about, okay, I want to get millions of people feeling excited and included in the movement and in the discussion about, like, personal consumption without the shame and the stigma of like feeling like it's all on you, right? The reality is, of course, like this, this perception that sustainability that you personally like must recycle or else the world will explode is like a, a whole a total PR campaign by Exxon. Like it's not a reality, but in some ways still we all can do better and should do better. And so like, what does that look like? And what are the ways that we can get folks involved and excited and engaged that feel fun and future and forward thinking and accessible and inclusive? Um, that's my why, trying to figure that out. It's, it's an ongoing question. I don't think Goldoon is a finite answer to it. I think it's the beginning of probably a lifelong exploration. I love that. Lifelong exploration for sure. Question number two is what's been the number one marketing moment so far that made the business pop? Being in Bon Appetit in print and in digital really early on, like two weeks, one month in was huge. Wow. Love that for you. Very cool. <laughs> Thank you. Question number three is where do you hang out to get smarter? What are you reading or listening to or subscribing to? Podcasts. I'm a big podcast head. 
I really like reading as well, both sort of like nonfiction and big, big fan of like using that time to learn, but also frankly fiction and like turning the brain off and having some opportunity to kind of go analog and like let the mind wander and be creative is so many times like more helpful for me than the alternative, which is weird. I'm always like wanting to make the most of my time and be super efficient and like optimized, but in reality, I think sometimes the best optimization is like creative flow and like doing something silly and turning your brain off and then all of a sudden the epiphany or the great business idea comes to you. 100%. I totally agree. I really actually prefer reading fiction, especially at night, because I'm like, I just want to mm-hmm. think about something else that's a totally different world. Oh, and yeah. like, not what I'm currently dealing with in the world kind of thing and like go to another time or another space or even if it's, yeah, just just stories. I love like stories of different times. Question number four, though. How do you win the day? What are your AM and PM rituals that keep you feeling happy and successful and motivated? I just moved. So I'm sort of like off my flow. But my new flow so far is every morning I take a walk around the park, like around the track, sometimes alone with into a podcast, sometimes with friends, which is great, and try to get in as many steps as we can before the day of sitting at the desk. And then... In the evening, I like to read. I try not to keep my phone in my bedroom. It's like a weird thing I do. Just to try to spend less time on it and uh, kind of have like separate, I don't know, sleep and rest vibes <laughs> away from technology. And usually I'll try to read for like 30 or 45 minutes. Right now I'm on a big, um, I've been collecting like first and second edition Nancy Drew that I read when I was a kid. And so I'm reading Nancy Drew all over again from the beginning before bed every night. <laughs> I love that. So cool. Question number five is, if you were given $1,000 of no strings attached grant money, where would you spend it in the business? I think I would put it towards product development and and sort of some of the products we want to test and build and invest in. That feels like a, a very right place to invest and see what happens. Amazing. And question number six, last question is, how do you deal with failure? What's your mindset and approach when things don't go to plan? I wish I had like an aspirational answer where I was like, oh, I roll with it. Like I'm just so evolved. (laughs) I'm so at peace and I accept my failures. (laughs) But the reality is that uh, it drives me like crazy, like trying to outrun failure. I have failed. And I do think that failing and being fine are like that was a great learning but in general I would say I'm, I'm obsessed with failure avoidance and it's like sort of the driving motivation that keeps me going and like working hard and <laughs> running my engine uh for better or for worse I think there's a lot of problems with that but that's just the way my brain is working fair enough I hear you I hear you so hard <laughs> Uh, Zora, this was so, so cool. Thank you so much for coming on the show to share all about Gold Dune, which just makes me feel really happy every time I hear you say that. <laughs> Lol. Thank you so much for having me. Um, and I'm excited. I'm so excited for the future. Oh, me too. I really appreciate it. This has been an absolute delight. <laughs> Hey, it's June here. Thanks for listening to this amazing episode of the Female Startup Club podcast. 
If you're a fan of the show and want even more of the good stuff, I'd recommend checking out femalestartupclub.com where you can subscribe to our free newsletter. We send it out weekly covering female founder business news, insights and learnings in D2C, and interesting business resources. And if you're a founder building an e-commerce brand, you can join our private network of entrepreneurs called Hype Club at femalestartupclub.com forward slash Hype Club. We have guests from the show joining us for intimate Ask Me Anythings, expert workshops, and a group of totally amazing, like-minded women building the future of D2C brands. As always, please do subscribe, rate and review the show, and post your favorite episodes to Instagram stories. I am beyond grateful when you do that. Hey, it's June here. Thanks for listening to this amazing episode of the Female Startup Club podcast. If you're a fan of the show and want even more of the good stuff, I'd recommend checking out femalestartupclub.com where you can subscribe to our free newsletter. We send it out weekly covering female founder business news, insights and learnings in D2C, and interesting business resources. And if you're a founder building an e-commerce brand, you can join our private network of entrepreneurs called Hype Club at femalestartupclub.com forward slash Hype Club. We have guests from the show joining us for intimate Ask Me Anythings, expert workshops, and a group of totally amazing, like-minded women building the future of D2C brands. As always, please do subscribe, rate and review the show, and post your favorite episodes to Instagram stories. I am beyond grateful when you do that. Okay.